It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome to FT Politics, a weekly podcast on British politics from the Financial Times. I'm Sebastian Payne, and in this episode, we'll be discussing Tony Blair's big intervention on Brexit and whether Labour can hold Copeland and Stoke-on-Trent in the upcoming by-elections. On this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Kate Allen, the FT's political correspondent, Annie Bounds, our Northern England correspondent, plus the political commentator and former advisor to Tony Blair, John McTernan. Thank you all for joining. This week saw the return of Tony Blair again. The three-time election-winning former Prime Minister gave a speech in the City of London, where else, on Brexit and why Remain backers need to rise up against the government's agenda. It certainly caught the media attention in a relatively quiet news week. For supporters of Mr Blair and disheartened pro-EU advocates, it was music to their ears, finally somebody speaking out against this madness. But for his opponents, it was seen as anti-democratic, backward-looking and, well, even maybe a bit irrelevant. So does Mr Blair have anything meaningful to add to the Brexit debate? Kate Allen, you were there at Mr Blair's speech on Friday morning for the FT. How was it received in the room? Do you think it was a good speech? Oh, it was received with absolutely rapturous applause. He was interrupted a couple of times for applause by an audience which, frankly, has been starved of morale-boosting sentiments, and Blair's speech was certainly full of that. It makes you realise what a colossus on the political stage he was in his time. I think he still is now, in a sense, that when you see him give a speech, it was very well structured and written, and it was cohesive and persuasive, where we're sort of used to speeches from Labour leaders, be it Ed Miliband or Jeremy Corbyn, which are not as focused as that. It makes you realise he is a very substantial political figure still. And I think it helps that fundamentally, and this may seem like a very simple thing to say, but sometimes in politics it's actually quite hard to be simple in this way. It was the speech of somebody who genuinely believed what they were saying, and that always helps you to come across with passion and sincerity. He said, you know, he knew that he was going to get criticised for putting himself back onto the public stage like this, but he felt that he had to because he really felt very strongly about this issue, and that really came across in his address. And I suppose the fundamental question is, what was the point of it? Because obviously Mr Blair has wound down some of his business op- operations in the past year or so has been talked about making a comeback, coming back into the limelight, trying to re-enter the political debate. There's not really any talk of him standing for Parliament or the House of Lords, but he clearly wants to have a say in this Brexit debate. But the thing that struck me with it was, why was he doing it now? Because if he'd said this six months ago, he could have had some way of shaping it. But 162 Labour MPs voted for Brexit in the House of Commons last week. And I just wondered, has he missed the boat a bit? Well, I think, to be honest, that that's precisely why he's saying it now. He did make some remarks before the referendum, but at the same time he acknowledged that, you know, the ambivalence that some people in the country feel about him might mean that he was not the best asset to the Remain campaign at the time. He did give an interview or two last year as well, after the referendum, where he said very much the same kind of thing. Um, But I think the thing that's made the difference now and that's made him decide to come out and take such a public position on this is that he's basically run out of patience with Labour. He clearly feels that, as he said today, they are not doing the job of opposition and somebody's got to do it and nobody else 
seems to be doing it, so he's going to do it. John McTurnan, you are nodding along vigorously to a lot of that, and you are nodding along in the room too this morning, I imagine, when Mr Blair gave this speech. Why do you think we should listen to Tony Blair at this point? Well, I think he had one line which summed it up, really. He said, why am I saying this? Because I believe it and I love this country. And it's so long since we've had a Labour politician who could seriously and sincerely say they love this country, this great country of Britain. And uh, I think it's right to say he's looked at the Labour Party and he's thought, you are not only not being in opposition, you are effectively handmaidens to Brexit. And there are no Labour MPs who came into politics to make their constituents poorer. But 162 of them voted last week to make their constituents poorer. They didn't vote for what they believed in. They vote for what they thought their constituents might believe in. And that is craven, particularly on an existential issue like this. And I think that's it. That Basically, Tony said, as he always can do, this is what the situation actually is. This is what's really at stake. And that the, as he put it, you know, the Singapore option, low tax, low regulation, low workers' rights option, which Theresa May thinks is a threat to the EU27, is actually a promise to the Brexiteers. And that kind of ideological agenda is toxic for the voters of Sunderland, the voters of Stoke, the voters uh, of London, people who voted for Brexit but certainly didn't vote to become Singapore on steroids. But it's very easy for Mr Blair to say this. He doesn't have a constituency. You know, those Labour MPs, a lot of them in their heart are against Brexit. They don't want to leave the single market. They don't believe in the agenda, but they feel they have to because the constituencies voted to leave and they don't want to get shot at the ballot box, whereas Mr Blair can easily stand up because he's not beholden to anyone. Yeah, but see, that is not just craven, it's stupid. As John Kirst has shown in his analysis of the, the vote of the referendum, over two-thirds of Labour voters in the constituencies across the country voted to stay in the European Union. The bulk of the voters who made Labour seats, leave seats, were non-Labour voters. And so you're being scared of shadows, scared of ghosts. And anyway, the truth is, you should be in politics to stand for something. Because if you stand for nothing, you'll stand for anything. And that's what the current PLP are doing. They're going to stand for anything that Theresa May puts in front of them. You know, They're going to vote with the Tories in the lobbies. Uh, obviously, it's easier for Jeremy Corbyn to vote, not with the Labour Party, but with the Tory party. He's got such a track record of having done it in the past. But it's... You know, politics about belief and about passion. I think that's what one could hear from Tony this morning. He was saying what he believed with a great analysis, with a great passion, and it's been dominating the news since last night, and it's going to dominate the news tomorrow. He's a man who shows leadership by saying, this is what it looks like. It certainly had a mixed response, though, Kate, that there's been a lot of people who agree with John's analysis that this is what we've been waiting to hear, a lot of the old Labour gang in particular, and even Nick Clegg, who tweeted saying, I agree with every single word of that speech. But a lot of people in the Labour Party at the moment say this is why Labour's in trouble, because we keep looking back to where we were in the past and it's not in touch with reality. How would you see the reception broadly to it? Well, I think you've had, as you say, in addition to the people for whom this has given some heart and is a much-needed voice for the 48% who voted Remain, there are basically two kind of categories of criticism of Mr Blair today. The first is that led by the Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson and other Brexiteers. You know, Boris kind of said that Tony Blair was the guy who would have taken our country into the euro with what would have been catastrophic consequences, and Ian Duncan Smith branding him arrogant, undemocratic and deeply out of touch. And then the other category of criticism comes 
from those in Labour who are very aware that they have two by-elections to win next week, both in Brexit-oriented seats. And we've seen Labour activists who are out on the doorstep on Twitter today saying he could have waited just one more week before doing this. But to be honest, I don't think Blair gives a fig for their electoral timing, to be quite honest. Oh, look, I think there's two points to say about that. The first one is on the by-elections. People in those by-elections are voting on Jeremy Corbyn. They're voting on the current leader of the Labour Party, not the one who stood down nearly a decade ago. Uh, and he's I still think... associated with the Labour Party, though. People oh. see him as Labour's Tony Blair. No, he's he has not guided the strategy of the Labour Party for nearly a decade. But people voters see him as part of Labour, pe- though. Pe- no, voters, Labour voters, still say they'd rather have him as leader than Jeremy Corbyn. Unfortunately, that's not true of their membership. If Blair was the Labour leader, I'd be the happiest person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not, and he's not affecting the by-election. The by-election in Copeland is about the double anti-nuclear position that Corbyn has and, and in Stoke. It will be about Corbyn being unpatriotic. That plays really badly there as well. As for what the Tories are saying, it is disgraceful for Ian Duncan Smith to say that you can deny free speech. As Tony said to himself at the Bloomberg event, he said, look, I have the right to say what I believe and you have the right to ignore me. But you cannot be told that democracy is one vote and then you have to shut up, pack up and go away and not talk about it ever again, particularly when people did not vote to leave the single market, did not vote to leave the customs union, did not vote for a low-tax, low-regulation economy, did not vote for the consequences on our financial service industry. Perhaps they voted in immigration, but the Tory record at the moment, 335,000 is the net immigration figure for last year. They can't control that because... We've got a jobs miracle in the UK. Do we want to choke off the jobs miracle so we don't have people coming here? I don't think the people of Stoke or Copeland want less employment in the UK. So he's entered the political fray again because he's allowed other people to step up to the plate and they haven't. And so what do you do if you believe passionately in something? You should say it, you should do it. And that's what he did. It's interesting timing, though, Kate, because as well as these by-elections that John mentioned, we've also got the fact Jeremy Corbyn's in a pretty mm. precarious position that Labour Party has lost thousands of members over its EU stance over the past couple of weeks, and the questions have already been gone about who's going to replace him and how much he's going to last, and we heard at the end of the week that one of the key members of his team has resigned, so I'm sure many people in Labour, even if they don't agree with what Mr Blair was in, will look at it, and a little part of their hearts will think, that was when we actually had leadership, whereas at the moment we're just drifting along. Yes, and it's interesting. I think that a lot of what you could call Labour moderates have been putting a lot of time and thought in recent months into intellectual renewal of the party because they are very aware that they, at some point, whether sooner or later, will have the opportunity to present a different vision for the party and the opportunity to seize the chance to make a different case for what Labour should be. And I think you very much feel that there is a growing sense in the party that that kind of alternative thinking is very much needed now. Indeed. And the other final question is, John, is this the Blair comeback to other people have raised this idea that he's given this speech? And I think his last major intervention was after Mr. Corbyn became leader. And he said, well, if you believe Corbyn is in your heart, then get a transplant. And then we've had this intervention today. Are we going to see more, do you think, from Mr. Blair in the coming months? Yes, I think we will be seeing more of Tony Blair in coming months because there is a vacancy for leadership. There's a vacancy for analysis. If there is no centrist politicians stepping up to this. There's nobody in the in the moderate wing of the Labour Party and the Parliamentary Party able to carry the weight that he has. And having closed down his commercial operations and invested the profits into his institute, I think he's giving himself the intellectual firepower to do this too. And he's demonstrated that when he comes back onto the stage, 
people listen. Imagine if Gordon Brown had made a speech about the European Union today, tumbleweed. We wouldn't be talking about it. I wouldn't be going on TV tonight on various channels. It would just be tumbleweed. Tony Blair still captures our imagination because he says things that we can hear and he grabs our attention even when he maddens his opponents. You have to listen he's, to He's him. maddening his own side as well. You know, Caroline Flint, the MP for Don Valley, who is the most Blairite of Blairite MPs, she was saying, we don't want to hear this is actually unhelpful if we spend the next two years just talking about how to undo the referendum as opposed to trying to shape what Brexit looks like. Look, I think the fact is, as Tony was saying, the politics of the next couple of years will be about exposing to the public what the consequences of Brexit are. There is no shaping a good result out of leaving the single market and leaving the customs union. It's a fantasy if Caroline thinks that that is possible. I don't believe she does. I think she's worried that we focus only on Brexit. The truth is the government have chosen to focus only on Brexit, not on the health service, not on housing, not on pensions, not on transport, not on anything, simply Brexit. All their bandwidth is going to be soaked up by this one issue. Well, if it's going to be the defining issue of the next period, that's because it's the defining issue of the next century. It will make or break this country. And finally, one last quick question, Kate. Do you think Blair still has a role to play? Obviously, John thinks he does. Do you think he can still contribute to the debate from outside of Parliament? Yes, absolutely. I think he does have a role to play. And I think that not just in Labour Party terms, in the sense that, as John says, nobody else has his stature, his ability to grab attention on the Remain side like Blair does. But I think also as a former Prime Minister, it's right that he should be able to weigh in and give his experience of having been Prime Minister. You know, today he said the EU never stopped me from making any laws that I wanted to make in my time in Downing Street. That kind of perspective is an important perspective that people need to hear, I think. By-election fever has hit the UK again, well, at least some parts of it. Next Thursday, Britons will go to the polls in Stoke-on-Trent in Staffordshire and Copeland in Cumbria after two Labour MPs have stood down to pursue careers outside of politics. In both cases, the Labour Party should not lose these seats, but it looks as if they might have a bumpy time and lose at least one of them. In Copeland, the Tories are breathing down their necks, while in Stoke, UKIP could be about to return its second MP, and showed that the People's Army is still on the march. So Andy Bounds, let's begin with Copeland. You've been out and about there for the FT. It's a rural seat in the Lake District and very traditional Labour territory. They've returned the seat going all the way back to the 1930s and given that they're in opposition and that the NHS is a very pressing issue there, you'd think that Labour should hold on to this. Were they feeling optimistic? They were not particularly. I'd say there was a little bit of a dose of panic around the camp. I, I went to a hustings and Andrew Gwynn, who's running the campaign, was up there and Cat Smith as well. And everywhere you turn, there seemed to be Labour MPs out on the stump, desperately trying to shore up their support. As you said, the big issue there really is the NHS. They're downgrading. There's a possible downgrade of the local hospital which means maternity services might go, which would mean women having babies could travel up to an hour or more to Carlisle on rather bad roads. And you would think that's an open and shut case for Labour to make hay. Theresa May got into a little bit of trouble when she went for a flying visit by not talking about it and and sort of dodging the question. But nevertheless, you'd think this is core Labour territory, core Labour issues, and the mere fact that we're talking here about a possible, you know, even the fact it's close, is remarkable, really. Yes, I spoke to some people in Downing Street this week who essentially said in normal circumstances 
we wouldn't think about taking by-election seats because governing parties normally see elections go against them. The public use a by-election as an opportunity to voice their distrust. But we're obviously in such unique political times here and Copeland is one of these seats we've talked and written a lot about. It's a Brexit voting seat, you know, a good Almost two-thirds of the population there voted to leave the EU, yet the Labour MP who's leaving, Jamie Reid, was a strong Remainer. Labour has chosen a Remain candidate there, a local candidate. And the question we're going to see next Thursday is, does people's views on Brexit now dictate how they vote in parliamentary elections? Yeah, I think the Brexit issue is slightly overplayed. It's about 60% voted for Brexit. That does mean that some of those are shifting to UK, but I think it also means a lot of staying at home. And the manifestation of the Brexit vote is one of these left-behind towns, Whitehaven, which is the main town in the constituency. You know, poor road rail links, industries shutting down, and they're very reliant on the nuclear industry. Jamie Reid, the sitting MP, used to call them the rugby league towns, you know, because of the places that don't have the best shopping centres, don't attract much attention quite a long way from the main sense of population and I think that's the feeling people have and they just feel well Labour's been in power here for 80 odd years they might not have run the country for all that time but what have they ever done for us that seemed to be the feeling among the working class voters more than a Brexit feeling. And the nuclear thing is a big thing, particularly in that constituency, because you've got the Sellafield nuclear power plant, which is a huge employer and very big boost to the area, whereas Jeremy Corbyn has made equivocal comments at best about nuclear power, saying it should be restrained or plant should be closed down. How much of that is playing as an issue? That's a massive issue. Uh, I didn't speak to anybody who thought that Jeremy Corbyn was pro-nuclear, despite his uh, pronouncements that he'd support nuclear now as part of a mix and move towards a low-carbon economy. But he's just been tagged. There's nothing he can do to get away from that. His candidate has a husband who works in the nuclear supply industry, and she's bravely talking about the nuclear issue and saying, we're on your side, but the, the leadership is seen to be anti-nuclear. And that's a massive factor where, you know, it's a huge employer, over 10,000 at Sellafield itself, thousands more in the supply chain, and it's the lifeblood of the economy there. Now, obviously, the other by-election is in Stoke-on-Trent. Now, I was up there last week, and it's a very different constituency, and it's much more about the UKIP threat there. And this is something, again, that we've looked at for quite a few years, whether UKIP is going to usurp Labour as the natural vote in those territories. Because I think it's, again, that feeling Labour have been in power for a long time. What have they done for these towns? And Stoke used to have a huge pottery industry, which is now almost gone. It's hit by austerity very badly as well. And so when someone like Paul Nuttall comes on and talks about making Brexit work, reducing migration, again in areas with not huge amounts of migration, it does seem to do quite well. And I'm sure you've been to places as well, Andy, where UKIP have been on the march. But the thing I always think is that the party is not very good at campaigning. They're not good at messaging. Their activists tend to be older and not as energetic as enthused as Labour often gets. So if UKIP did take Stoke, it would be a huge surprise. And Labour should be very worried at that point. But it's a 5,000 majority they've got to knock back there. So it feels to me, after spending a day talking to politicians, again, lots of Labour MPs out there, lots of activists, they're probably not going 
to quite do. So if Labour hold on now, it will give Jeremy Corbyn a little bit of breathing room. But if he loses Copeland, then it's not going to be a good day for him. Well, I, I would agree. I think also, again, the UKIP vote was animated by Brexit. Now that that referendum's happened, there's less less reason for them to come out on a cold day just to put Paul Nuttall in Westminster. They'd like to, but you don't get the sense that that's a really big issue for them. And as you say, if Corbyn was to lose Copeland, uh, I think there will be huge questions uh, about his leadership. Middle of the road MPs may find it hard to sit on their hands. And I was told by one activist up there, there will be almost civil war in the local party about who's to blame because there was the usual toing and froing over choosing a candidate and, and whether the national leadership was trying to impose somebody. And that's going to hit morale eventually and will send shockwaves through the Labour Party. I mean, for the Tories to win in a time of austerity and when the NHS is the biggest issue, you know, you wonder where Labour could win. And the other thing I'll point out is that on the UKIP question, we had a council by-election in Rotherham a couple of weeks ago, which is a, you know, UKIP formed the second largest group. But in a by-election a couple of weeks ago, they were beaten into third place by the Lib Dems, who actually took the seat from Labour. Labour's vote went down by over half. And this is in a classic sort of Brexit voting town. So it's incredible what's happening out there at the moment. It's definitely some kind of realignment going on. The thing that I found fascinating in Stoke was this sort of unholy trinity of Tim Farron, the Liberal Democrat leader, Nigel Farage, the former UKIP leader, and Aaron Banks, who's the big roller and UKIP supporter. They all think the Liberal Democrats are going to do pretty well in Stoke. I think Copeland is a bit different because it's a rural constituency, but the Liberal Democrats are clearly taking that pro-EU part of the vote because the Labour Party is dead set against Brexit. There's very few Labour MPs who will now say, well, actually, I'm going to stand up against this. They're mostly in London metropolitan seats. So in those areas, if you're a pro-EU Conservative or pro-EU Labour person, I could see completely why you would gravitate towards the Liberal Democrats. And I think there's a very plausible path for them to get back up to 20 seats or so at the next election by focusing on being the party of that kind of metropolitan college, university, town sort of thing. Um, But for Labour, this really is an existential thing, Andy, because, you know, as you said, if they lost Copeland, it would be a huge shock. The Tories have wanted that seat for years because, again, they're not well represented in the North and they've been leafleting and trying to build up their support and now it looks like their moment. In Stoke, if UKIP get that, then I think there'll be a lot of head-scratching Labour thinking this is the first because people like Jamie Reid, who is the MP for Copeland, and Tristram Hunt, who was the MP for Stoke, they've said for years years that we need to take UKIP more seriously and they could come for us in these constituencies but there'll be a lot of head scratching there as well because their candidate a chap called Gareth Snell has been a very controversial choice he hasn't spoken to the national media when the FT went up there he hasn't spoken to our reporters he didn't want to speak to the new statesman didn't want to speak to channel 4 news so he's a complete blackout focusing entirely on campaigning on the ground at the same time or his twitter feed for some very controversial comments in the past there. And I think there's a whole sense that Labour is just not really anywhere at the moment. It's campaigning game, it's messaging, it's all over the place and all might come to a head on February the 23rd. I mean, what's fascinating is that after all our punditry and and going to these places and talking to people, we're actually going to get some real results, aren't we, for the first time in a while, yeah? So we won't have to talk, uh, you know, what ifs. We'll actually have some solid results and see what's really happening. And I would remind you, Seb, when I was last on this podcast, I predicted Labour in Stoke and Tories in Copeland. So I'm prepared to stick to that this week. We may have to do some editing next week. (laughs) (laughs) I just about stick with you as well, that I feel that the Tories, based on what you've said and others, have that big mo in 
in Copeland that Labour don't really seem to have it and it's so tight when you've taken all the issues you said but in Stoke I think it is quite different because it's a bigger majority it's a much more entrenched Labour vote there and the thing that I found is people aren't making that connection between how I voted in the referendum and a parliamentary vote that might change the general election which if it does Labour are in real trouble but this time they might just squeak through there but it's going to be very interesting as you say because Labour are 16 points behind in the national polls at the moment and we've all postulated on what that means now we're actually going to find out so that's it for this week's episode we'll be back next week and we'll be looking at the by-election results thank you very much to all my guests for joining and thank you for listening 